Hi, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. This is Dan Jurgen. This is Jason J. Lewis, the voice of Superman on Justice League Action. This is Mark Wayne, writer of Superman Birthright, and you're listening to The Krypton Report. The Krypton Report podcast is dedicated to all things Superman, Supergirl, and the planet Krypton. We discuss movies, TV, game, comics, and all things DC. So join me, Tyler, with my co-host James and Jania. It is I, your host, Tyler, and today I have a very special guest, another fellow Kryptonian podcaster, uh, one of my favorite shows I've talked about multiple times that I've uh, suggested everyone go and check out, and <clears throat> is with great respect, honor that I welcome Mr. The Legend, <laughs> Mr. Desiato. Hello, sir. Hello, that was, that was quite the introduction. I, I am honored. And it's great to be here. I appreciate the invite. You know, you and I, we've been messaging for, for a while now. And so it's great to actually be able to, to talk to you face-to-face, virtually, but still. <coughs> uh, so thank you very much for having I've really been looking forward. Oh, you're, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that we're here. And yeah, we've, it's a funny kind of story because what's hilarious, and this quick background here is I, I can't remember which one, I, if I had found Digging for Kryptonite first, on Facebook and was following it and I had listened and then I just remember I got up one day and it was something like on iTunes was an advertisement for my comic shop country and I was like oh this rental this sounds awesome this is right on my own. And, I, and I rented it and I watched it and first of all the opening at Acme Comics in North Carolina I got excited because that was near where I worked when we lived in North Carolina and that's where I would go on my lunch break and get books and stuff. And then it wasn't until a little bit later that the two came together. I was like, wait a minute, this is the same dude. <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh, okay. So it was, it was pretty awesome. when I like kind of put the pieces together that not only do you run an awesome podcast, you're also a documentary filmmaker as well. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the comic shop projects came first for me. You know, I, when I was law school, I made a documentary film about my local comic shop, Alternate Reality, now since the sad closed. Um, and that was, you know, the first major creative project I took on. And, you know, it was just born out of the, all the fun that we had at the store, colorful characters, starting with the owner. And, you know, I did that first documentary, and then I started a podcast a few years later when the store closed called My Comic Shop History. That gave way to another documentary, your reference. Uh, you know, it was, I guess, a couple of years ago at this point that I was thinking about what next, kind of the next step would be. Like, my comic shop history is still gone. I still host that, but I just do limited runs at year. But I, I love podcasting. I fell in love with podcasting. And I was thinking, well, hey, what would the next thing be? And, you know, as you well know, I don't think you can do a podcast long term and do it well unless it's something you're really passionate And so, you know, I very quickly came to the conclusion, well, the natural thing, and maybe the only other contender for an ongoing, in my case, bi-weekly podcast would be something super. So then that, that led, to but it's been, you know, connecting with you and connecting with a bunch of the other, our other fellow super podcasts has been one of the most unexpected delights of this whole thing. Cause if I had, if there were one thing that, that was holding me back, uh, when I was, deciding whether or not to pull the trigger on a Superman show, that 
there are so many others out there. Like with the Comic Shop podcast, there are some of but not a mm-hmm. ton. Well, Superman, you know, there's no shortage of those podcasts out there. I just remember thinking, you know, I do something that would stand out, think, is it, is it worth it? And again, it, it's just, I've been so blown away by the, the camaraderie within the super podcast group, uh, you know, on social mm-hmm. media primarily. But it's been great. And we've, you know, a bunch of us have exchanged plugs on our shows and have guests on each other's shows. It's been, it's really been terrific. I, I, again, I wasn't, not that I was expecting a cold welcome, but I, right. I didn't know what to expect. It's been, uh, it's really been terrific. You know, I look at it kind of like back when I played in bands, like you'd find some friends and you'd form bands and you're like, okay, let's, let's do shows together. Or let's help get, you know, shows together. Or, hey, let's make our own show. You know, there, you always think that there's this tension of, okay, I have to do better than them or, you know, but there's also this camaraderie. And I mean, <clears throat> with Superman, like, you know, my, my show evolved because at, when I first started podcasting, I was, I joined with a friend and we were reviewing Gotham, the TV series. And that's kind of what my end to podcasting was. I listened to the good version of Fat Man on Batman, is what I call it. When it was when I, I fell in love with the show when he first started it, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, and then when the Supergirl, when wait, when Krypton was announced and Supergirl, I was like, well, I want to review. I want to review those. I want. I want to do that. And then I would realize, like, I want to do more than just talk about the TV show. So like, that's always kind of been the backbone was reviewing the current shows. But I was like, there's so much to it. I mean, like our friend Nate, we just did a podcast. He reviews and talks about and digs into the history of Superman, the animated series. And there's so many facets. Um, You know, one of my favorites to listen to because it's my smallest knowledge is uh, the Superboy legacy podcast. Because for the longest time, I knew that show existed. And I felt like I would talk to people and they had no idea that it was real. You know, and I would just have this memory of like be, seeing it come on like on basic cable. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, it wasn't until 06 when Superman Returns happened and there was so much stuff released on home video that it was like, see, look, there's the first season this show does exist. Um, and then... Sadly, and I say that because some people still don't, I miss DC Universe. People can say whatever they want about HBO Max, but the George Reeves show is gone. Superboy is gone. All that old content, that real, like, just want to dig into the history of DC. People like us who, you know, it's not the greatest, but it's it's part of the legacy that I want to least experience is not on HBO Max. Um that's been a major frustration for me well in particular adventure superman and superboy uh, th- those two are, are two of the more egregious missions mm-hmm. on on each you know to be honest and I, i've since bought them all on deep i just got to the point where i said you know what yeah, hopefully they'll make the jump over there at some point lois and clark did recently yes mastered it and that's great and everything so my, I hope that at some point the other ones will, but it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to be at their mercy. I, I bought these, but you know, it's kind of baffling to me because to your point, you know, they were previously on the DC app, so available to them in that format, right? Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, unless there really is some sort of 
licensing issue or what, but I can't imagine that that's the case. I really feel like it's a matter of them not thinking there's an audience. Maybe there's more to it, but my gut feeling is that that's kind of what's, I really think that's the same people like us who would love to visit it, but also for new people to discover it. And I'm like you, Superboy is, is definitely one of, I don't have a ton of huge gaps in my super fandom anymore, but that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I will eventually close it. Uh, and now I'm going to have to do that via DVD. <laughs> yeah, it's it's slowly <clears throat> shrinking. But, you know, there's that there's that where you watch it, you know, and you've, oh, I've seen it. But then there's that I can recite it. I can quote it. I can like, you know, like scripture, like, okay, here it is. You know, and that's how you can do like with a lot of Smallville. You're like, hey, <laughs> this season, this episode, this happens. And it just comes from that repetition. And... I just want to say, like, you were talking about things, and as of this recording, uh, DC Fandom has just happened. Did you watch any of it or just check out any of it? I watched a little bit of it. I, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't glued, you know, to the screen watching the whole thing, but I would check out stuff after I saw the, the headline. So, you know, I certainly watched the new The Batman Flash trailers. I watched the Superman and Lois set visit. I watched the Supergirl farewell. But I guess in the end, I watched probably like a, a good, a good percent. You know, I had it. I didn't get to watch it yesterday because we were um, we were at a con yesterday, and I watched the whole stream today. I just have kind of on in the background as I was doing some other things. And you were talking about having things, and one of the things they announced that shows to me that they're still they're really trying to get their stuff in house is um, HBO Max is taking over Pennyworth. They're bringing Pennyworth from Epics to HBO Max. And making that a Max original. So it shows me that they're like trying to get all their stuff back home and finding their their home. But that's not what we're here to talk about. And the the funny like thing, and I, I point out to you, is two Superman fans here talking on this day. And as of this recording, it's the 17th of October, which is Jerry Siegel's birthday. Which is why I'm wearing my Action Comics number one hoodie. Um, we actually were going to go, we were going to take a drive and go up to the Siegel house today, um, to celebrate, but my wife had to work. And so that threw that out the window. Yeah. What an occasion. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to admit, I, I wasn't, I wasn't dialed into date when you messaged. Me. Oh, but that's, that's terrific. And I'm so glad that we can, can have a Superman, a fun Superman chat on his birthday. Yeah. I just, it's one of those, because you know, like, uh, I'm trying to remember how many years ago now. Back in 2018, um, you know, Jerry and Joe are from Cleveland, and I live south of Columbus, so it's it's a little under three hour drive to Cleveland. And we went, and they did a the Cleveland Library did a huge, huge thing called from Cleveland to Krypton, and they had a bunch of Superman artifacts, and they had Jerry's typewriter, um, they had a lot of stuff, and had. It was raining that day. We would have went over to the house after that, but it was raining. So we were like, okay, we'll come back another time. So it's always kind of been because of that, that the date, you know, my wife's birthday is in October. It just kind of stays in the consciousness. Um, and I also makes me always wonder why uh, Kansas was chosen for Smallville and not Ohio. I feel like that would have been an interesting, more logical choice. Being that they were from Ohio, but you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> that is a good, no, I never really thought about that. That is a good question. 
I, I did. I one day I was like, why why can't like I'm like who who made it Kansas? You know, like, um, but we have like I feel like we have so much to talk about, and we could talk a lot about just you know your filmmaking aspects. Um, but I think we'll save that for another day. We'll have to just talk film another day. That's perfectly uh, fine. <laughs> because you know I I have an idea for a documentary that's it's more serious and it's been floating and I've done a little work on it and. It's one of those things I want to do, but I'm a little scared and nervous because of the subject matter. And it's, uh, I get personal on the show all the time. I don't care. But, and this just back context is the episode of Superman and Lois this season that touched us as a family the most is when Lois talked about her miscarriage because my wife and I have gone through four of them. And one day my wife and I were talking about doing a documentary about the struggles of women have with miscarriages, but also like how, how that concept is common and people just think, Oh, no big deal. You know, like there's been so many women who suffered from like this loss and emotional and people treat it as if, Oh, you really weren't pregnant or whatever. And I'm not going to go down no rabbit holes right here, but it's a documentary that I've had kind of just, you know, I, I've, I feel like it's kind of been laid on my wife and I together to partner and do this thing. Um, so I figure we could talk film because I could get some pointers from you about just the I'm process. Happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to talk, you know, on or off mic, you know, about that whenever you like. Very sorry to hear that. I think, you know, a project like that, I watch a lot of, I agree. I mean, I think it is one of those things that you have to deal with quietly, internally, behind closed doors, but it's something that so much. You know, like you said, on Superman and Lois, I appreciated that they told that story to shine a light. Watch who, you know, appreciated seeing the characters going through something so human, so so real, so relatable. So, yeah, I mean, a project like that, I, again, I think there would, I think that would be a compelling. You know, you know, we, we I've heard you talk about it, and I'll throw my two senses, like, you know, with this character, it's interesting because Smallville happened when I was in high school. You know, it it started, I was a sophomore and Clark was a freshman, but we were both 15, just how that, you know, fell. Mm -hmm. And I went through high school with Clark, then into college and then the in-between years. And then when Smallville ended was, what, mere weeks after my wedding so, you know, this, this, this show carried me in my life. And then now we jump ahead to Superman and Lois. When I'm married, I've been married now for 10 years. And I have two kids. Sure, my kids aren't as old as their kids. But the idea of, you know, I now have my character going through fatherhood. And I'm going through this. It's like, um, it's, it's just kind of, it's really awesome then to have these stories that I connect with. I mean, uh, yesterday I had the honor to... I talked to him before on a podcast, but I got the honor to meet him face to face and talk to Dan Jurgens. And the books that I presented to him to sign was um, Convergence number Superman Convergence number one and Lois and Clark uh, number one. And it was his The Birth of John Kent, and then when they did that that story that was going to tie into Rebirth. And I said to him, I was like, you know, these stories meant a lot to me because these came out, you know, John Kent was born the same year that my son was born. So I became a father at the same time that Superman became a father. 
you know, and Dan's like looking at like, yeah, that's all, you know, like he's like, you could tell it's like emotional. He's like, he signed them. And I'm sure most people are like, let's talk about death of Superman. I'm like, nah, let's talk about this, <laughs> you know, this, like I wanted to be like, let's talk about electric blue Superman just to throw him off, you know, but <laughs> I didn't have that much time. Uh, but it, it was a great experience. And, you know, having just listened to your part of your, uh, from crisis to death and segment, which has been great, just kind of contextualizing more of where Superman was at that time. You know, Dan Jurgens had a large role to play in the whole death. So I was like, the first person I thought like I have to send a message to about this was you, but my signal was bad. So you're like, nothing's coming through. And I'm just like, ah. Yeah, it was funny because you're like, uh, I thought you would appreciate this. And I, I waited a couple <laughs> minutes and I was like, I'm not seeing anything. But then eventually the photos, you know, I've, I've not had the opportunity to meet Dan Jurgens, although a buddy of mine met him at Terrificon a couple of years ago. And I, I'm grateful to my buddy and to, and to Dan Jurgens. Uh, Dan recorded a video to me. Uh, Acknowledging that responsible for getting me into comedy. It was very cool. I still have that Dave. And I hope to be able to meet him at some point. I, you know, like you said, we've been talking a lot about early triangle era, my show, and that super. I've not yet made any attempt to try to get Dan Jurgens on the show. I, you know, I, I, I sense that he would be receptive to doing something like that, but I have no idea. But it's one of those things where I'm waiting before I would even try to do that because I like that people ask him about death all the time. So I would really want to be able to find a way to come at it from some kind of different angle. And then there's also this, someone was asking me about the recent, oh, you got to get Dan Higgins, a big death Superman guy. I sort of feel like when the time comes that I'm really going to wind down the podcast, that's a long way down the road, but I sort of feel like that'll be one of the sort of the final step. Like we're in the final season of small like, all, like the final pieces are coming into place, that sort of thing. But I, I would love to talk. I, you, you'd be like, hey, Dan, let's just talk Booster Gold. I'm sure yeah, no one ever wants it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and that's the thing is like, you're like you want to talk about Death of Superman, but at the same time you're like, man, like I'm sure everyone always asks you about it. And like you said, you want to come at it. <laughs> the best question would be, Dan, how does it feel to only be asked about Death of Superman? <laughs> and go. Um, but I, I had something I wanted to show you. Um, for those who can't see us, who are listening, I found this at a comic book store um, poster that they just had in the back all folded up. Can, can you see it? I sure can. Superman is back. And I'm like, I have nowhere to put it. It's my problem. Like, it's so massive. I'm like, I mean, I even have posters, like, small, like, stuff I've got from, like, the movie theaters and, like, stuff that are tiny posters on my ceiling. And I'm like, I don't have anywhere for this massive poster. But I'm like, that was just such a cool find. And it was back there with, like, all these posters. And they're like, yeah, you can just take it. That's fine. I'm like, all right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great score. Uh, I'm so glad that you got it's got uh, Mike Carlin's signature on it. You know, it's mass-produced, Mike Carlin's signature. But it was still cool because I, I took a picture and I, I Facebook messaged like Mike Carlin. I was like, is this your signature? Because I wasn't sure. Cause the, he's like, yeah, that's me. I was like, awesome. That's so, I, I honestly, you know, 
and I appreciate the shout out that run of episodes I've been doing. I, I won't rehash all of it, but I'll just say that it has been beyond fulfilling to go back to the stories that got me into Superman, but now armed with the context of the preceding years. And it's, it's a sort of thing I always look back to death and funeral and bond because they got me. Always that love there. But, you know, now there's that. Plus, I just appreciate them as stories in and of themselves in a way that I didn't before. It's just been just an absolute gift to, to get that new insight into and appreciation for these stories that have been with me so long. Yeah, it's, it's been great. And what's interesting is I remember when death happened and it being like on the news and everything. And, I, you know, I've told stories where I was young and comics were harder to find because you know, we were a military family. And the only place I could constantly find them was on a spinner rack at one of the uniform shops my dad went to. But, you know, we, I didn't always get to go with him. It wasn't like a continual time. So, like, I'd find what I could where I could. And, you know, reading death and everything later, I realized that out of all of that, funeral is my favorite because it's the legacy book that talks about what Superman really meant to people. And we won't go into it because your episode covers it beautifully. And for those who are listening, you know, that one of my questions is always like, well, what got you into Superman? And I'm not going to ask him because he said it. And if you want the full story, go listen to his last episode because he beautifully articulates the importance of that moment of, you know, seeing the death of Superman uh, comic and what that meant to him. And it's a great story. Like I love hearing where people come from because a lot of times you hear like on over on the other, you know, with the other guy, that guy with ears, you know, uh, you always hear like the Adam West show or like Batman, the animated series. Sometimes you hear Batman 89, but I feel like, if you were old enough for Batman 89, you already knew Adam West. And if you're a little younger, you had the animated series around the corner. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, but with Superman, I find like it's been interesting because you automatically think, oh, the Chris films, that that's everyone's. And for me, it was kind of like there was always this sense of already. And I remember having, I have it up here, the VHS of the Fleischer cartoons. And that's the ones I first remember. And then, oh, thank you. My beautiful wife just delivered uh, me some hot tea here on this cold Ohio day. Very nice, yes. I had some, uh, I had some delicious tomato soup earlier. So mm. it was a very crisp day here in Connecticut as well. Um, yeah, it was one of those days like I woke up and I was like, oh, yes, finally fall. And what's funny is my wife was actually, I mentioned like my favorite fall food is grilled cheese tomato soup. You know, that's why it's funny you said that because I was going to, I was going to make it. She's like, no, she's like, when I get home from work, I'll make some homemade chicken noodle soup. And then she got held up and got home late. So I was like, ah, shucks. But it's, it's just funny that you said that. See, that's, that's how we are made to be friends. That's, that's right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's dig into a little bit more here. You know, just some of the fun questions that I have and then we'll get, we have, we actually have a topic we're going to discuss because, you know, you're very... I don't see you're very in like the comic books, you know, is where you're digging more. And I like, I love doing the comic books, but I'm also very much uh, a media person. And the the irony is we actually had a lot more comic books based stuff planned because I write out my calendar, but because of how they've done the shows for COVID, there hasn't been a stop really in a super series. Cause as soon as Superman and Lois ended, Supergirl picked back up. Right. 
so it's been this continual run. So we really have had, you know, coherent, continual sets. Um, so it's like, man, this, like we have a lot of stuff coming at us for once compared to usually we have a little bit of break. We can dig into other things. Um, so here's my question. Here's the first question. Your favorite version of Superman. Is it a comic book? Is it a certain comic book? Is it a certain actor's portrayal or whatever? Go. And it don't have to be a long explanation. Uh, I'll try to keep it short. I, I mean, you know, this is something that I've definitely thought about and come up on my show as well. Of course you know, it has. It's one of the reasons I wanted to do the show was to take this long view of the character across time and see how they play off of it, how they develop. So the I will give an actual answer, but uh, let me just say this. And this is not me sitting on the fence, but the thing that's been so fascinating, just seeing how character evolves, how there's something meaningful, valuable about virtually incarnation. And the example that I always go to is the word grief show. That was one of the big gaps in my fan until the beginning of 2020. Now I hold that up, one of my favorite versions. And it's very different than modern incarnation, but it works so well, especially for the time. And, you know, really, you know, maintains the, especially those early seasons, you know, the, the essence of the original comic. So, so I'll say that now the actual answer, I have to go Tom Welling. That Smallville, and you and I had a very similar experience, right? I, I yep. was in high school and, and it just tracked with what I, I mean, not the, not the sci-fi aspect, but it just, <laughs> yeah. you know, our journeys paralleled each other. So, I was running around at night, you know, fighting the evil in my yeah. town. <laughs> but... You know, so that show, I mean, really, you know, one of the pieces of homework uh, for, for our recording tonight that I know we'll get into was an episode of All the Eight Bloodline. And, you know, I I haven't watched season eight sometime, and so, but I just, I queued up that episode. I was right back. I was right back. And that is one of those shows that I can quote, you can throw any episode at me. I, I, I'm right there with So uh, the, the, the Tom Welling incarnation arc is the one that, Nearest and dearest. I have. I mean, if I approach it a little more analytically, I think my answer might change. But by, in my heart, it, that's. And you know, that's I. I say yeah. That's that's kind of where I am because what's funny is as much as I complain about these superhero shows and like give me the costumes, I want the costumes. Somehow, Smallville Clark pulled it off of that. I was like, okay, like I, I buy it. Like I'm okay with not having the costume. It blows my mind, but. You know, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of Smallville, and we were at the con, and Tom and Michael were there, and we actually got to talk to Tom and get our picture taken with Tom, me and my two buddies. I was like, what a way to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Smallville, guys. Um, and it's just, it's crazy, because I'm like, <laughs> my, my fashion in high school was like, who are you going to find? Blue shirt, red jacket, red shirt, blue jacket. Really got a primary color palette, you know, some flannel, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, small <laughs> impact in my fashion, you know. I'm the, I mean, exactly the same here. I mean, I've posted this photo when they, when they reveal the photos of Tom Welling crisis TV crossover participant wearing that red flannel shirt. Literally, I was like, I own that. I already owned it. Smallville had, had so shaped my fashion. <laughs> When Tom Welling came back years later, I had that shirt. I put it on and I photo. I, I, I think, yeah, I, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. 
and that's awesome that you got to meet them. Like, oh, it, it was it was it was cool. Um, what's funny is my wife last yeah it was last year she bought me a blue vest. Like she's like I found this on sale and I got it for you, and I I have a bunch of flannel shirt, flannel shirts and I had a flannel on. I put that vest on. And I was like this feels oddly familiar, and I pull up it looks almost identical to Christopher Reeve in Superman four when he's on the farm and the guy comes and he's selling it, you know? Yep. yep. And I'm like, passes the approval. Um, but you know, um, I'm, I'm right there with you with Tom, but Tyler is winning me over. And I yeah. think, and part of it is what I feel like. I feel like when they did the writer's room for Superman and Lois, they had a giant board and they went through every incarnation of the character and talked about, what worked, what people liked, and then they just mixed it together. And with Tyler's portrayal, we're getting like the greatest hits version because it seems like he's hitting everything like where people want. He's finding that just that right blend of the different versions. And so he, he's, he's winning me over. Um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll, you know, and this is one thing that I've been, you know, upfront about on, on my show that, you know, I, don't mind and in fact i'm happy to change my position some you know and that's one example where you know i did not i certainly didn't hate his his portrayal of the character in the arrow prior to super but it didn't necessarily blow me away and you know at the time but definitely now in retrospect i reckon you know he was serving a supporting role function and i think in that past character work and there, you know, his first introduction in the season two premiere soup, I thought it was great. I really did like that. Yes. Subsequent appearances, again, I I didn't feel like he made that strong of an impression. But, man, have I loved him on Superman. That show, again, going back to Unexpected Delight, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And, and like yourself, I too am now a young father. So it, it, it does really just feel like a gift that we keep getting these strong yeah, Superman stories that match where we are in our personal you know it's like i'm sure i would like superman and lois what yeah i definitely like it i love it more you know because i can identify with the you know, the, the familial aspect it's kind of like i'll go down the thumb but it's like the reverse of how spider-man was in my life you know i was in high school and i got toby mcguire who's in high school who all of a sudden right. just gets aged up and then he's out and he's an adult and now like i'm an adult and i get like peter in high school and I'm like, yay, Spidey, but I just quite don't connect with you because you're in high school. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny because we did we did an episode before the premiere of Superman and Lois. We went back and we watched all the Tyler appearances. And we broke it down and talked about it. And exactly like what you said was he made a big impact on the first you know episode of Supergirl. But then after that, you could tell they wanted him. And he did a – what podcast was it Tyler was on? Maybe it was the Hall of Justice. I'm trying to remember. He did a great explanation of how, you know, you could. he said, like, he could tell Berlanti wanted to keep him. He kept finding a way to scoot him in there to eventually get to the point where they could pitch to have the show. Because he was just a supporter. He was in the background. You know, they didn't give him much to do because it wasn't his show. Like, you didn't want him to overshadow the other, you know, the other characters. He's there, you know, supporting. And so... When he finally got, like, it's his show, it was like, here you go. And it was, it was great, and I, I love it. I can't, I can't praise that show enough because I finally feel like it's the family Superman show that I've been wanting for a long time. And we watch it with the kids. Like, it became, 
because I bought it on iTunes, so we'd watch it Wednesday morning over breakfast um, as a family, you know, like, I'd make breakfast, time to watch Superman and Lois. So now in that same thought, and this is where it can get tricky. What's your favorite Clark Kent? Because the Tom Welling can kind of like, it's that, it's that kind of like, eh, because technically he's Clark, you know, but he's right. also the blur or super, you know, so, but you know, you're talking about George and my buddy, Brian, he started reading super, uh, comics. He started DC comics and reading them chronologically. So he just started reading all the titles and went through the years. And he talked about how if you're reading comics and then watching Superman, the closest that we ever really had was George. It kind of, it matched up the best. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, that at the time you could read a Superman comic, then look at the show. And that was probably the closest, you know, gap we've had for the longest time. Cause I always think George's golden age, Superman, it was right there kind of starting to go to the silver age, depending on where you pinpoint the silver, you know, but I always, you know, I always think, cause I always feel like the shows are a little bit behind where the comics are. So, um, but what, what's your favorite portrayal of Clark? All right. That, all right. That's tough. I will, I will, and you know, bear with me. But I'm going to eliminate the Christopher Reeve because I've I've never loved as much as I, it's a beautiful performance the way he's able to differentiate the character it's magnificent but I've I never agree. liked I've never liked that overly bumbling Clark where it's really just facade Superman is who he is that Clark is nearly I've never I've never really liked it. so I wouldn't go there the George one is is uh, is high up on my list but. As you know from listening to my show, I, I am a big fan, defender, Zack Snyder take on the character. And, you know, that's actually an I'm going to go with Henry Cavill's Clark because I look at those movies, I rarely, I always think of him as Clark. He's Clark throughout those films, whether he has the glasses on or the flannel or the costume. And, and so that's what I'm going to go with. See, I, I, I always look at like... You know, it's he's one person, but then it's kind of like how your mom, like grandma's coming over. You put on your best behavior. That's your Superman. You know, like a little bit more, a little bit more of like a certain way. You know, like if you're a professional, even though you know you might be a real laid back kind of goofy person, but you don't walk into a professional setting cracking jokes all the time. And that's kind of where I look at, like you know, his his Clark Superman is kind of like this, like. You know, when he's Superman, he's a little bit more professional. And then maybe when he's Clark at work, he's a little bit more on he, – he, he leans into like his goofier side a little bit to give a little bit of a different – but he's never a different person. He's never being a completely different person. Um, and that, that's just how I kind of gauge the whole Clark. He's not Batman. You know, Batman is – he's Batman 24-7 and Bruce is this, this fake persona he creates really – to just so people don't realize he's Batman. That's not Clark. That's not the Clark Superman um, identity. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, I, I know I mentioned Lois and Clark. My wife and I are gearing up for podcast rewatch of that. Um, I'm looking forward to going back to that show. I haven't looked at that in, I don't know. I mean, it's been a really, really long 
so you know my this might change after I after I but the Clark Kent that we got in that show, you know, Kane was really playing him like a regular guy. And I do think that there was a lot of value in that, especially in paving the way for the pick. I think mm-hmm. it really gave, and of course, the way written well, but I really feel like that show gave an integrity to Clark. That that definitely flowed from what was going on in the comics. Firm. You know, there was definitely that whole turnover going on. And like you said, the way it tracks the comic, but especially as far as live action pictures, I felt like that that gave some integrity to Clark that you know to Clark specific that he hadn't had in a while. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I do I do appreciate that take. It's always interesting to put when you put things a little bit more in that perspective. Is that Lois and Clark was the first post crisis version of the character, so it's our first live action post crisis Lex, and I think John Shea did a great job and often gets overlooked and gets kind of mixed. Um, you know he you know. Like it's just like I like Gene Hackman. I think he's great, but I don't see him as Lex because that's not the Lex that I knew and really kind of grew up with. So it's hard to kind of make to see him as Lex. Um you know, and then I was blown away by even if if no one watches the show, if you're a Superman fan, you're like, I'm not watching Supergirl, go watch the John Cryer Lex Luthor episodes. Because his portrayal was, it blew me away. Like, I, I really, really like it. And I was surprised at how much I enjoyed his Lex Luthor. Yeah. You know, Rosenbaum for me is, is number one. But I was, and you know, this was another example with Pryor where I was LaCroix. very, very nice. I was, I'm like, I'm not cracking a cold one. No, it's, it's my, my LaCroix. <laughs> Hey, listen, even if I usually I drink bourbon when I'm doing my show, so it's all right. I only have water tonight. But uh, I was, you know, prior was another example where I was very, very skeptical. I watched Two and a Half Men for 12 years. I watched the entire show. And so I had that certain image of him brained in my head. And, you know, when they announced him, and even when that first bearded photo of him in prison, I don't don't think this is going to work. Then I watched that first full episode, and I was like, oh, and I was, again, happy to be proven wrong, especially when it's, I'm always happy to go from, I don't really like something to, hey, this is great. I love yeah. going in that direction. That's beautiful. At, at the end of the day, we, I think we all want to yes. or should want to enjoy this stuff. Yes. You know, I, I look at like you could almost do like Rosenbaum's Lex is the origin and then Cryer's is like down the line. You know, if you're looking at a timeline – Rosenbaum gave us the, the the early years, and then, you know, you have, like, the John Shea or the Kevin Spacey. It's kind of like – or the comics. And then the Criers Lex is finally seeing that – knowing that there's this history between him and Superman all these years. We're farther in the in their relationship. Um, so it's a, it's a new take on Lex, you know, being further down the line of his times table than we've had before, which – much like Tyler Hecklin's Superman, like how do you do a new Superman show? Well, you make him already married with kids, and oh, that's your new spin. So Lex has kind of that; it's that new spin. Um, next question: What's funny is some of these we just answered in regular conversation, and that you, I'll, I just want you to say this on air, but because I know I know your answer. But the Kents, live or dead? Live, hundred percent. 
I, I just wanted you to say it on my show because I already knew what you were going to say. Um, <laughs> but no, like, I, you know, that was one of those things that I don't feel that Pa has to be dead. I don't think that Ma needs to be dead. Um, you know, the old, especially the times where, you know, in the old George show and the Kirk Allen serials and stuff, the kids were like grandparents when they found Clark. And slowly we've de-aged them to be, I always picture them kind of like in their late 30s, maybe early 40s when they get Clark. So they're a little bit older than what their childbearing years would have been, you know. But even in now in today's society, that's not old. Like I don't want to say it's old, but, you know, you look in the past like that's, you should have already had your kids by now. But I like the idea, like one of my favorite stories with them and uh, was in Grant Morrison's action run in the New 52 it was like a backup where you see that Martha can't get pregnant and they go to like the fertility clinics and they're doing all everything. They're like spending all their money. And it's like the last time they basically they're driving home and you know, Martha's heartbroken. Like Jonathan's trying to keep her spirits up that he doesn't want to give up, but she's trying to say she's ready. And then you just see that ship crash and you're like, yes, you know, it's like, it just, it makes that much stronger um, for their story. And that was one that was, you know, close to me when my wife and I were going through stuff. Uh, I totally understand. Again, I, I mean, I can I'll leave, but I, I'll just say that I think, you know, the, I think the question always is like, well, if one or both of them dies, what function does it serve? Valuable function. I think, you know, in the premiere of Superman and Lois, Martha's past that precipitates their move back to small. You know, we're now in a different phase of his life and... You know, right. sadly losing a parent, especially as you get older, is something that people go through. And so I felt like that, that was fitting. You know, going back to the Chris, the, the idea of Jonathan's casting, imparting Clark this, this valuable lesson, can't save everyone, and also sort of marking the end of his time. Although I do recognize that could be valuable function Jonathan's death. But, you know, in the end, I... And I know a lot of this is informed by the fact that I grew up reading comics. My parents were around, you know, to watch Smallville for a good part of the show. <laughs> they were both there, and, and they were young, and they were vital. And I just think that's one of the, the one of the things that separates Superman from other characters. Like, has there, and they're a soundboard. And you know, some of the stories that I read for my my recent event, you know, there there are a few instances where Jonathan and Martha are active. Yes. Like there's a story where the eradicator corrupts Superman's mind. And like Jonathan and Martha go ultimately end up in the fortress and, and try to snap out of it. And it's, ah, I love stuff like that. So I'm, I'm all for them. You know, I, I, I always throw back to one thing is like uh, every year my kids and I watch the Comfort and Joy episode of Justice League Unlimited. And it's the Christmas where Clark goes home and he takes Martian Manhunter with him. And Martha's like, we got the spare bedroom made up. You can stay in Kara's room. And, you know, she, he's like, I don't have a present. And Martha's like, here you go. You know, we always make extra. And he puts on the sweater. And I'm like, I just feel like. And then there was that meme that somebody did independently. Where it was a Mother's Day meme. And it's Clark hugging his mom. And Martha looks at Bruce and runs over and hugs Bruce. And I always look at mom, pop, like the parents to everybody. Like, come on in. You're welcome. You're family. You know, and I think it. It helps his character and oh, who was it said something about like one of the problems with Jeff Johns was when he came in, he wanted to give everyone like no parents. So like 
he did the story where Barry's mom's dead, you know, <laughs> he, he changed that. He's like, he wanted to kill off everybody's parents. Um, and you know, I think for some characters it works. Like you can't have Batman without the, his parents, but you can have Superman without his parents. Like he doesn't have to be birthed out of tragedy. Like even the tragedy of his planet destroying, he has no connection to it. You know, he doesn't learn that till later in his life. Um, and like in the death, I like the role that they play with Lois, both in the animated film that I really love that you'll be reviewing soon that I'm, I do want to hear. I got to sign up for that Patreon. Just check that uh, out. Out of professional courtesy, I'll, I'll send that to you. Please. <laughs> oh, Hey, like, you know, because what's funny is I, 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 I rant and rave about how I get mad that I feel like so many times people think, you know, the only story of Superman that matters is his death. Like, ah, oh, we're just going to kill him, you know? And, and I rant and rave about that. But yet my favorite is I love that death of Superman animated film. Like, I think I just, it's, I, uh, I pick it as my favorite Superman film because I feel like it's a safe out. <laughs> so you don't have to get in fights with people. I'm just like, I've choose this one. I'm going to go over here now. Um, <laughs> so my next question is that question that divides all Superman fans. It's the one that will, uh, Either, you know, you're in or you're out, but <laughs> trunks or no trunks. It's so funny. I just recorded an episode with comic book artist V. Ken Mary, and we mostly focused on the 1997 Steel movie. So let me tell you, <laughs> man, did we have fun with that. It was, and you might be surprised, we actually, we really mounted, I think, a pretty, uh, a pretty strong defense for that movie. But in any event, uh, we did talk a little bit about the visual evolution style of I asked him about the trunk. He and I were all kind of on the same page. And I really hate to sit on the fence on this. I don't feel that strong. I really, I don't mind them. I'm not like, oh, they look stupid. They need to go. I'm, if they're there, great. But I don't feel like the costume is complete. They're missing. As long as there's something yeah. to break up the, so the red belt, I'm fine. So, and again, I, I don't say that to, to sit on the fence, but I, I genuinely don't care that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. My, my kind of breaking in piece is like, in comics, it's fine, you know, uh, because they're, they're comics. Live action, I don't prefer them because I feel like you have to have the right suit and the right actor. Because I feel like Brandon Routh pulls it off. The way they designed his trunks in both... Even in Superman Returns, but I think that they designed him really well in his Kingdom Come suit. And then Tyler, when he did his Flacher suit, I think he pulled off. Um, but I just don't think for a modern audience, you could keep those and really make it without being... Because it feels like it's just an open joke to poke fun at him. Because most people don't understand the history or the reference or what they were there for. Um, and yeah, I think there, there are people who that's the sword they'll die on with Superman. No trunks, not my Superman, you know? I'm just like, really? Like, okay. It's, it's crazy that that's the, that's the, uh, <coughs> that's the, 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 the kill all. Uh, <laughs> now here's one that I ask that a lot of times people will answer, but then they'll think about it. If you could have one Kryptonian power, what would it be? I know flight is the one that most immediately gravity. And there is tremendous appeal. I don't know. I would kind of say the strength. I think that's all 
where I, if I really, really had to pick a sort an actual choice, yeah. that's what I would. You know what's funny is that's where everybody starts. Like, you know, flight's the obvious one. And then there's, they talk it through and I'm like, well, if I didn't have the invulnerability, how would flight work? You know, it's like, if I didn't have the invulnerability, how would super speed work? Because like the flash has the speed force to protect him and all that. But could you just imagine your skin like, you know, so the invulnerability, because then I feel like how much better that helps me in everyday life. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I feel like the flying, you know, there would be that initial thrill and you'd probably fly a lot initially. But then after a while, I feel like it get a little old, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I go with the strength. Flash. Yeah, I feel like that would just come in handy with everything. Like, oh, let me carry, carry all these five gallons of buckets of paint to you. Yeah, look at this. Oh, you need your car moved? Ah, oh, here you go. <laughs> you know? Oh, can we move your house? Got it. <laughs> so the other thing that we are here to talk about, and this is one of those things that I am forcing myself to cut short because we could go on forever. And he has a family. I have a family. My wife understands, though. Let's just say when I first got on and I did the always hold on to Smallville, three hours later, we're still going. And my wife's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Superman. It, listen, you and I, <laughs> I, I, we found a lot of common ground tonight. And that's another instance where my wife gets this. And, you know, I schedule all of my recordings after our son goes to bed and I come down here. And, and it's funny, though, because whenever I do the normally, normally like we're doing this on a Sunday night, um, normally I do mine on a Friday night. A lot of times before I go down here, I usually start around eight. I'll usually say like, "Hey, you know, if I stay up, like I'll probably be done on ten and watch something." And she's always like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> and sure enough, again, two to three hours later, where I finally resurf. So uh, yeah, no, I, I get it. <laughs> You're like, "Hey, yeah, that's doesn't." But you and I also talk so much. Um already like kind of knowledge. That's why I was like, some of these questions I was going to ask to get on air, but I know where he's going to go with it. But one thing, okay. So what we brought up for my conversation, I was like, one thing I've always thought about and I wanted to find someone to discuss about was what I call, <coughs> excuse me, Feora versus Ursa, because they are two different characters that seems like has been just used interchangeably, you know, um, through film, through comics. And I was like, what's the kind of the history? And uh, like, we're, we're, we'll do a, a discussion. We don't do a deep dive, but I was like, okay, um, let's, let's chat about these characters because I, I found it funny. And what I found most humorous, and we said this off mic was recently, um, Anthony did a review of the 1980s Ruby Spears Superman series that a lot of people forget existed. And when I saw that, I got excited because I had bought them on iTunes like real cheap, real cheap years ago. And I watched them real quick and then that was it. I, I had to fill in that, that knowledge. And one episode of that show has a, a very weird general sod, a very <laughs> weird general sod. And it has three Kryptonian villains, but it's Zod, Feora, and Ursa. And it's the only time I found where Ursa and Feora are together. And I'm like, and it's this show. And it's not like they don't really do much or anything. Like, it's a episode to me, as I was watching, like, I could almost see some pre-Doomsday in there. 
kind of like it's also like side story about pre. If you go back and watch John Wesley ships the Flash, and you watch when Mark Hamill gets his sidekick, was it prank? What they called her, I think. You definitely see that proto Harley Quinn, and I'm like, and I thought to myself, was Paul Dini sitting at home like, mm, this is good, I like this. <laughs> um, but I just thought you know it'd be interesting. Like, is one character better than the other? Could you really carve out and have two really great distinctive versions, you know, of these of these female characters? And so we're just going to kind of talk about them. Uh, Anthony's main assignment was Ursa, because coming off, you know, re- discussing all the the Reeve films, because that's really where she gets her start. And I I was digging into Feora here, and um, I just I found it very interesting just kind of digging through their history. And um, one thing that I found in a series that I've never read that I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to, because I found it very intrigued what they did with Feora was the bombshell series. Do you remember that, that run that yeah, was, yeah. I did not read it, but I am. From- I didn't either. I bought my wife, the wonder woman cover issue is just uh, cause the artwork was cool. And she had like the, the shirt, um, and so I was doing some research and Feora is like the main villain and to the point where oh, I'm trying to remember everything now, but like she gets a hold of like Raven's blood and power and mixes it. And Feora actually turns herself into that line's version of a doomsday. And I mean, I was like, okay, like her biggest impact on comics is this side story over here. So I'm actually going to try to – I think I'm going to read through it just because I'm now more intrigued and I didn't get a chance to to read it. But Yeah, this – you know, yeah, I appreciated you inviting me on the show generally. But this was an interesting assignment. And it's one of those things that I, I was especially happy to do because I would never have done this on my show. But not because I, I don't think it's a good idea. It's because I wouldn't have thought about this. And I had never thought. And when you were like, oh, we have these two female Kryptonians. And how, if at all, can we distinguish them? How have they think ways? And and again, until you had brought that up, I, all honesty, had never really pondered in any significant way. And so I did the homework that you asked me to first, but I also did most of the Feora research. Well, I, I wanted to be able to get as much of the full picture as possible. Honestly, I, I mean, I would love to know if you came up with anything different, but for the life of me, I mean, I really couldn't, I really could not distinguish characters. My take is that they've been used interchangeably, and I do think that's at the detriment of both of them. Yes. The only main difference that I've been able to find is, one, where it gets more confusing, you can see this, is when when Feora first appears, she's more of a brunette, Kryptonian villainess. And then Ursa, of course, was on Superman the movie. And she had black hair. But then when Feyre reappears later, we start seeing like different changes. But then when Feyre was in, uh, where is it on my notes here? Oh, and um, there it is. Man, Wonder Woman? It was in Justice League action. She's back to being a brunette. And then when she appeared in the Superman Wonder Woman New 52 comic, she just straight up was Zack Snyder's Ursa. Or I mean, Feyre. But they used the dark hair even in that film. Like Ursa, and to the average comic book, or like just film watcher, 
you would never know. But the only difference that I have discerned is that Feora often is lined up as a lover, partner, wife to Zod. Ursa is never aligned as Zod's lover. That is the main difference that I've discovered. So I guess one potential like that, that last Sun arc of action comic that Jeff John, Richard Donner co-wrote. Now I only read the, the, the part that you had specifically assigned. I mean, I have read the whole thing years, years, years. But in that, they show up as the parent of young boy Lois and Clark take in. Mm-hmm. But do we find out later that it wasn't a product of love, that it was just strategic union? That that's the case? Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm like 90% sure. Because um, I, I, I actually, I read it and I was going to pull it back out because I had just rebought it because um, I had it digitally. But then I, when, when Donner passed, I decided like, all right, I'm going to pull the, the and buy it. But what's interesting is I actually just found for five bucks that Zod figure at the con yesterday. Um, and what's interesting, and we'll, we'll kind of bring Zod into this for a quick second, is these Kryptonian villains, villainesses, they've never had a definitive look. Um, we always have the House of El Glyph. And then they wanted to give every family. Zod's never had a glyph that you could look at and say, that's Zod. Every, like, so the comics has always kind of been something different. They didn't do anything in the Donner films. Um, Michael Shannon's glyph is different than Callum Blue's glyph. And even the glyph for the House of Zod they used on Krypton, the series. There's never been a consistent look even for Zod. Um, The actor that played Zod in, for like the two seconds in Superman and Lois was blonde, (laughs) you know, and then we got a whole new reinterpretation of Zod on Krypton, which uh, Colin Salmon is my favorite Zod. Just throwing that out there because I feel like he, he embodied what I loved about Terrence Stamp, but then he was able to embody what I loved about Michael Shannon. And he just found a nice way of pulling it around and putting his own spin on it. Um, so that's one of the highest points of the Krypton series was his portrayal of, of Zod. And if anyone disagrees with me, that's, that's fine. It's all subjective. Um, so with that logic is even the main antagonist to the House of El, there's not consistency. So then when we get to Feora and Ursa, it's just like, ah, female, evil. Throw her in there. And that's basically it. I mean, I think in most of these incarnations, you know, whether it's Feora or Ursa, they are old and calculating, usually eight men, and are aligned with Zod, least ideological, or in the case of Feora, from. I mean, that's kind of it. And even when we get down to, to the look, we have, especially again in, in these recent, I mean, again, if you look at, like you're saying, the Feora of the, the Superman and Wonder Woman, Run. I mean, again, it's that short black hair. It could easily mistake her for her. So, and your point about thought is well taken. You know, I mean, obviously, is a character who does stand on his own, but to your point, I mean, yeah, there, there are still aspects of the character that, you know, aren't so clearly defined the way, the way other characters have been. I think with Dodd, it's further complicated by the post crisis comics, which now, again, I, I spent a lot of 
but that's why you're here. That's why you're here. But, but you know, and it's one of those where post crisis, they DC of course scaled back all of these other Kryptonian characters, made it that Clark truly was the last on script. But you know, Zod was a valuable villain. So we over that period between you know Christ on Infinite Earth and the Richard Donner Jeff John last on arc, where they finally reintroduced actual Zod Krypton. We had all other versions. We had the Universe Zod. Um, we had the, the Russian metahuman Zod Joe Kelly was playing around with. We had the Fort Morrow Zod that Brian Atherell played around with. There were all of other Zod before we finally got the one troop. I don't think that helped. And that's one of the aspects, much as, you know, my heart with post-Christ Superman, Superman up with so many runs there fan of I mean I started my podcast with the low Kelly at lot um but that being said don't you know quasi version certain characters like Supergirl like God you know these attempts to have the character without running afoul of the only one Kryptonian rule I don't think that did those characters any favor so yeah I, I think that further muddies the water oh I, I agree you know I have I'm a fan of Superman's The Last Kryptonian, but for story purposes, I like that you had Zod, a female, I'll say that for as we do have this conversation, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. like Non, the three Kryptonian villains, because I think it puts a different aspect on the Kryptonian culture. It also, for, for a story point, it gives um, Clark this sense of oh, I'm not alone. These, these could be people I connect with, but really they're not. So it's, it's has even more dramatic, uh, point. Now I also am a fan of having his cousin, Supergirl because, and this is, I don't know if I should edit this out, but we'll see. This is a story that has not been told by DC that I want to tell. We have Zorel and Jorel, but they never do a story with them together. Who are these brothers? What is their story? And I have it. I'm just going to say this. Okay, I got it. I got it, bro. Um, and the irony of why I say that is because my first name is Jonathan. Tyler's my middle name. That's what I go by. So, Jay. My younger brother, who is blonde-haired, his name is Zach. Z. His wife is blonde. My wife is also brunette like me. So we have this parallel of J and Z and my brother, because of situations that my wife and I occurred, had his, his son was born before mine. So from that events in my life, I started like getting the story of two brothers that have a massive fallout. And had maybe the brothers L worked together, they could have saved Krypton, but they were opposing each other. And in the end, in Tyler's story, because you have the, and I won't give too much away, but you have always like Kara was sent or Kara. Well, that's a whole nother discussion. Um, you know, to look after baby Cal. The idea is in the end, family was important and for our children to make up for our mistakes. And I feel like that's the story they've not told. And that's why I like the idea of having Supergirl. Now, I'm also, I like the idea when Supergirl is there, she's there, she's with him, but then she goes off and finds her own destiny. You know, like the idea of Superman or Supergirl being with the Legion or being out in space works for me because I feel like 
she goes off to find her destiny because so I'm not a fan of like Candor is a kind of a iffy thing, you know, like I don't like the idea he can just go down into Candor. I like when they had like Brainiac has it, but they're all asleep, like in like a coma. I'm okay with that. Um, cause from dramatic story point of view, it's that thread of there's my people. I have to save them. What can I do? But I can't figure it out. Um, compared to like new Krypton or Argo city or, you know, all this other where you're just like, that's just a lot, you know? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, the story posed fast. That would be amazing to actually see some life comic book form otherwise. So kudos for that. I really think that, I mean, that's, and that things that's so funny about a character who's been around for for decades. Yeah, there's there are still that's uncharted territory, you know, that can be mine. So I think that's an example where that can story. So yeah, I think something that would be cool. And yeah, I think with the as far as the other Kryptonians, I think there's a there's a fine line. I don't think it's you know all or nothing. I think there's a balance right. I think with Zot and Ursa or Feora and on, you know, with the villains who are primarily in the Phantom Zone, I think that works fine, right? They're not ever present, right? You know, not ever present. Uh, so I think that's okay. And uh, I, yeah, I agree with you with Pan. He can kind of jump there whenever he wants. It loses. It definitely loses. Back. Um, so handle the right way. Candor's possible. Too like Supergirl. And you know, the thing I, I the conclusion I've come to having read the beginnings of Matrix Supergirl from 90, is that, you know, if if that value weren't there, if there weren't need for a Supergirl, they wouldn't have bent over backwards to create this pocket universe protoplasm being that morphed yep. into Supergirl, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, so. she she serves a, a purpose, and, you know, the, the comics, her history in the comics is not great. We'll just say that. <laughs> um, it's a very weird, unbalanced history. Um, much like, you know, with Feora and Ursa, because if I were to, if my writing assignment was use them both, I think where I would lead, I would lean is, you know, you would have, I'd put them like in a military academy together, but you would have this where Feora and Ursa really get along, but Ursa goes darker. And Feora like has this here, because for example, we'll, we'll jump here, but my brain's all over the place. Ursa, okay, we'll start with her. She appears in Superman the movie and Superman 2. Um, mentioned before the Ruby Spears episode, The Hunter. Uh, she appears in the 2019 animated series DC Superhero Girls, which is a it's a it's a fun show. I watch it with my daughter. Uh, Very fun. She I have never it. watched it before, and then I watched that one, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, when my son gets a little older, I would definitely put that on. It was I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised by it. My my watch, you know, the premiere of that series with my daughter, and then my son watches it. Like, he's cool because him and his sister are sweet because he'll watch shows with her, and she'll watch shows with him. So, like, she'll, like, I want to watch My Little Pony. He'll sit down and watch it with her, and then he'll be like, let's watch this, and she'll watch it. So they really get along great together about that. And um, so she appears there. And then the comic we talked about was in the Action Comics 845, which is the second part of The Last Son by Jeff Johns and Richard Donner. Ursa is introduced into the Superman comic canon, which is very interesting because that's like her one, and she's very Sarah Douglas looking. 
um, in the face and the hair. And that's like the one definitive, like Ursa in the comics and, you know, and then with Feora, she first appears in action comics 471 and then 472. And then really no notable until we were talking about the new 52 Superman Wonder Woman issues five and six, which are, are, are great. But like I said, it feels very Man of Steel because I feel like with some of these side characters, whatever the contemporary television or film version is, they'll kind of twist them into that. But then the other Feora that we got, we got her course in the film Man of Steel. But she was also in season nine of Smallville, she's actually a character. It's a younger Feora. And that was the, you know, not to dive into all Smallville, but in the lore of that season was the Kandorians were actually clones that were, when their blood was taken, they were younger than where they, when they actually ended their life. So when these clones were birthed on earth, they were younger. So he wasn't general Zod. Um, and Feora is much younger. She's actually has more of an ethnicity to her than just like a white person. Um, and she has a sister, which had never been introduced before the name Fala. And I thought that was cool. And then of course, Feora gets pregnant with her and Zod's child. And then Zod killed her cause he was a weirdo. Um, and that Zod. And then in Superman, uh, in Smallville season eight, like you were talking about earlier, the phantom version possesses Lois. And we find out that Feora was married to Zod. They couldn't have children, which that is very, per- and that's actually in my story. But, um, this advanced Kryptonian technology, but whatever. So they create a being, which in this is, they created Doomsday as like their, child um and i always i actually actually really liked the whole davis bloom thing just side note in the doomsday the way they did on smallville because i love sam witwer as an actor and i think he pulled it off amazingly of uh that character so it worked for me even though i think the ending sucked but (laughs) (laughs) the whole how they kind of like got rid of doomsday and that sucked but whatever and then Feora appears in the Looney Tunes show Super Rabbit, which I watched a clip on YouTube because I couldn't find the actual episode, and Justice League Action episode Field Trip. Justice League Action, uh, we're big fans on the show. We love Jason J. Lewis and his Superman voice, one of our favorites here on the show. So, yeah, like, it's amazing to me how they always try to pin Zod with a female but we have these two where they're like really almost cut and paste of each other. And it's, it's sad to me that with all the creativeness and the other thing is with comics, I'm really big on hair color. Okay. Like I know some people, Oh, that's why I really have an issue, but you know, you can kind of let it slide, but Amy Adams is Lois Lane being redheaded really bothers me. Because when I think redhead, it's Lana. You know, even though, like, they've, they've changed Lana's look. But, like, in the comics, she was always the redheaded girl. And when you're looking at comics, art, 
certain things need to be met to really help you know that's the character because this person draws it different than this person, you know? So having these, uh, looking like the different animation version of Feora or where they make Feora look like Ursa, but they call her Feora, it makes it more complicated of who's who because they're just interchanging things. That's my, that's my quick rant. Your turn. Huh. I mean, I'm with you. I, I, like I said, I really think this does the service. I think that's why, I mean, at least from my perspective, I don't think either one has ever cemented, you know, the way Zod had. I think that may could have been achieved if you had picked one, <laughs> you know, and, and portrayed her consistently, or if you are going to utilize both, do so in a way where they each have their own function to serve. And I, I'm with you, that Ruby Spears episode, that's actually, that's my favorite episode from the series. They only did 13, uh, but Hunter is my favorite. I, I did an article for 13th Dimension. Where I counted that. That was my number one. Uh, and to your point, that, so in the, the premise of that, right, is that the three of them are in the Phantom Zone and they conjure this Hunter that is very similar. To, I mean, I really think you can look at that as a forerunner doomsday, very sync-minded, gap. And, you know, they're able to send the hunter to Earth to fight. Like, yeah, three of them there. And I just took another look at that before we sat to the end. If Feora doesn't speak, Ursa does all the talking. So this one moment where it's like, okay, how would they interact with each other? Anything. And look, I mean, you know, that, that cartoon has its charm. But I don't know how much nuance I would expect from that anyway. It doesn't. Yeah. So it, it's really just a, and you know, it's, because I know, obviously, I covered Supergirl. Would have been interesting. Oh, of course, first season Super hit her, her. But I, it would have been interesting if they took Ursa or Feora and really reimagined her as Supergirl's version of God. Something like that. Really, you no, know, I could have done without Rain. And I think that would have been a perfect season <laughs> to shine a spotlight and actually do something Ursa. Or both. I really wasn't. I agree with you because, you know, when Supergirl first was pitched, the, one of the early episodes of the podcast was, well, do you do the show as if she's the Superman of the show? Like, there is no Superman. There's just Supergirl. Um, or, you know, how they went and did it. But then they, you know, she was against her Aunt Astrid. And then their non shows up. But this is like non before, like, a lot of people don't know, like in Nan's history, he was very intelligent, but then depending on the writer, when they were on Krypton, he had a brain injury or damage or whatever. And that's what made him more into just the brute muscle, you know, simple minded beast. Uh, and this, of course, was a Nan that did, was smart, but didn't really feel like Nan. It was just Nan, my name alone. Um, and you're just kind of like, what? But I mean... And with the rain thing, it was like she was rain, but nothing like the rain that was in the comics. And looking at her suit and everything, it would have been much better to just make her, even if they had went where it was Feora, like the phantom Feora or Ursa that had possessed it, the, oh, what was her name? I can't remember the character's Sam? name. Sam. Yeah. I was like, it's on the tip of my tongue. Sam and, and did that and made her, like you said, more of her Zod because, you know, a lot of the things in, in Supergirl was who are the female villains? We'll just give them the female version, the female villain. And I, I just think that, you know, on 
Superman and Lois, spoiler, <laughs> we got a character who kind of filled that role. You know, it's like they didn't want to do Zod, so they found a way, another way of doing the character. And they didn't exactly want to do Feora or Ursa, so they found a, a way who was actually a Supergirl villain. Um, but I feel like we they've they've done these two characters a disservice, and I feel like there is there is a way to give them distinctive um, features, styles, and really write a story with. We don't we can have more than one evil Kryptonian villain female, and I th- I think we should. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean that's you know it's. It's funny. I was. I know this wasn't part of our homework, but I was also thinking about the way Superman the animated series handled these characters. Didn't get those versions. Mala. Yeah. Uh, Jack. Right. Yeah. And so you know, there's yet another version of a Kryptonian female. You know, I, I just feel like again, it can use sort of like, but with the same characteristics. That's the problem. Yeah. When you have now with her and <laughs> piling on here that. Um, John Byrne post-crisis story, Supergirl saga, his swan song book, uh, when Superman executes the three Kryptonian criminals have annihilated all of billions on the world. It's odd. I actually forget who the third, what name. But the woman is Zayor. So Feora with the Z. Oh. And I had to double check that. And I read it fairly recently. But it's one of those, like, did it make wrong much of an impression? And when I doubled, it was like, yeah, this was Zayor. So, like, yet another version of a female character, a female Kryptonian villain with, again, the same set character. So, yeah, again, just they haven't done either one any favor. I think that prevented either or both from occupying the same prominence that Zod does. And I think that's, that's, I mean, I I love, Zod is one of my favorite Superman, but Oh, it would be nice to have a deeper bend. Doesn't always yeah. have to. Uh, and especially like we've been saying, we're talking about Supergirl or someone else. It would be nice to have someone else you can kind of pull in to hit her up. I mean, you know, with the Zayor thing, it makes me think back to earlier comics. Uh, what do you call it? Um, when they first did Luther, there was. Luthor, O-R, and there was Luther, E-R, and they kind of were using it interchangeably, and it was eventually, they were like, we have to pin this down and make a correct, you know, name. And it makes you wonder, like, was it a typo? Or was it, you know, because it's a pocket dimension, it can be a little different. Um, But yeah, I mean, with all this, with all the content we're getting now, and live action, and you know, reboots, and anime, like, you would think someone could sit down and be like, look, we really need to make something distinguishable with these two characters and utilize them. Um, or alternative suggestion. You go the opposite direction. You come up with some version where her full name is like Bayora <laughs> or so. You know, it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? Because other than Ruby Spears, that lost Ruby Spears, where they're both there together. Other, actually, you know what? Now that, now that I'm saying it out, I that might be the way to go because that Ruby Spears side, they're never together. Yeah. All like, these other versions. Well, so I mean, they're one character. It, I mean, it could be. I mean, because, 
you know, with that thinking, we did a whole conversation piece on how Kryptonians name their children, their daughters, why Kara is Kara Zor-El, so that she gets her, she inherits her father's name, um, you know, and it was Laura Lorvon, so she inherits her father's name, you know, that's why it's just Jor-El, Cal-El, um, so could Feora be like, her name is Feora Ol, U-L, so it could be like Feora Ursa Ol, you know what I'm saying, her, her dad was, Ur, you know what I'm saying, like, something like that, because you know, in a lot of ways, that could be the best way to go just because, like I said, the only difference that we've been able to really find is Feora has the romantic relationship with Zod and Ursa hasn't. Unless you made them sisters, like twin sisters. I mean, that'd be the other way to go where one's a little bit darker and one, you know what I'm saying? Because uh, then you can just feel... Um, I think an, an interesting story with them that I'm coming up with right now would be interesting if you got Granny Goodness involved and she took one of them and made them into one of her Furies. Much like how she tried to pull Supergirl into the Furies. But like I said, it, it's it's not a it's not a conversation we can really dive deep in because there's not a lot. But it's a it's like a think piece of just like, hey, there's these two characters that are. I mean, you know, in the comics now we now have a. Because of the New 52 and Rebirth, we have a Wally West, but then we have a Wallace West, you know? Um, so they're not opposed to having almost these kind of du- double characters in, in, in the stories that something could be done about this. So, Yeah. No, I, like, I, like I said at the top, I had not really given this much thought and brought it up. But imagine among your listeners, sure there are others following category who maybe had never really thought about how you really treat the character separately because they have been used for change. So I think to be able to, to shine a light on this issue is is worthwhile. So again I you know I appreciate you having yeah I hope you know whatever whatever the case sisters or merge them into one character ever there is a there would pull that a lot. We can, we can, I mean, make them cousins. And I, I, just, I say that just because it's that one degree off and it kind of huckles back to you. Maybe Ursa is Zod's cousin. I'm, I'm writing it right here in my head. So anyways, that's how I would do it. Ursa is Zod's cousin and Feora is his woman, his wife, his companion. Or depending on which Kryptonian history. Yeah, I got it. I'll go down that rabbit hole later. But, um, but yeah, it was just, it was a nice conversation to kind of bring up and we could keep going, but you know, I'll try to keep it to about an hour, hour and a half here for you. Um, because we, I feel like if we just, we could keep going and then it'd be like, Oh, put on another pot. Like the funny part <laughs> is I have right here to my left is my Superman coffee pot maker. Just flip that on, let it brew and just be like, ah. <laughs> well, no, you and I will be talking again because we have episode coming up and record my show so we'll be doing this again we'll see how long we go that report. but i'm looking forward yes it should so as we wrap up here any any other plugs for any of the other shows uh different podcasts where can people find you online like what what's your preferred like i know like i'm on a different social media but there's certain ones i 
I never check my Instagram. <laughs> I never get on Instagram. But you can always get a hold of uh, you know us on Facebook and Twitter. The easiest. What's the best for you? So I mean, the podcast is digging for kryptonite, Superman. That's on all major podcast platforms. So I, I encourage people to check it out and subscribe, like it. And uh, as far as social media, you know, there's the digging for kryptonite Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter. I, I do check all of them. It's funny. I've heard Twitter. But I found doing this podcast, that's where I tend to get most traction, hear from people, act. Uh, so that's, well, I mean, you know, well, there's, it's happened on all of that, but Twitter I've actually found to be uh, the most beneficial with respect to this podcast, more so than anything I've done before. So on Twitter in particular, it's at digging for AR pot. The show, that was hard to get the handle down. Uh, but so that's <laughs> digging for KR. On, that's on but wherever anyone would, would want to reach out have, uh, to connect and if you want just the sort of the master hub it's flat squirrel duck, duck, all my stuff all right well thank you anthony for being here and being part of everything with us today um check out his podcast i'm telling you it's it's a great listen it's um you know i'm always every time the new episode drops and i listen i'll I'll listen. I'll, I'll be sending him little messages like uh, because it's it's that kind of conversation where you feel like you wish you were there, sitting there as part of the of the conversation because it's just, it just sounds like two friends talking, and you're one of them that just happens to be like out of earshot. You know, like you're the guy in there making. Then you're like, yeah, guys, I'm with you. You know, they're in the living room talking. So uh, I, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. I, I love what you. Um, your other hosts have done your show. Again, like I said, I, I've been ha- so happy to connect with you. I love getting those messages. That's really, I mean, as, as you know, you, you put stuff out, you never know how it's going to be received. And hopefully it's something that you enjoy doing in and of itself. So even if you don't hear anything, you're still happy that you, you did it. But, you know, when you do, <laughs> you do get some feedback, it's always lovely. Uh, so, so thank you. You're welcome. The Krypton Report is a Tears production. We thank you for listening and enjoying, and please support us on our Patreon account, our T Public store, and check out our social media. Always remember to look up in the sky. Hey, can I get a dollar? Sure. That's what friends say, right? And we all know that we all have a dollar. We spend a dollar on crazy stuff. We have a loose change around the house probably for a dollar. So why not help a friend out? The Krypton Report, of course, has a Patreon, like every podcast does. But unlike other podcasts, where we're asking for a lot of money. We're just saying, hey, shoot us a dollar. One dollar a month. Help us keep the podcast going and help us to bring entertainment to you. And you can hear the fun voices of me and James. So go to patreon.com slash Krypton Report and give it a shot. Thanks. If you enjoy Superman podcasts, then here's some others to check out. Digging for Kryptonite. The Last Sons of Krypton. The Aspiring Kryptonian. That all comes back to Superman. Superman Forever. All-Star Superman Podcast. Superman, the animated podcast. Always Hold On to Smallville. And Superboy Legacy Podcast. Check them out. Always a good time. Always something new. Enjoy.